Think with me this evening, if you would, about the world in which Christ was born. As we think about his birth on Christmas Day, what was the world like that Jesus was born into? Well, a lot could be said about that, of course. But a few things that are important to know and interesting to think about is that the world Christ was born into was a world of peace. It was said of him, or was said during his birth, may there be peace on earth. But in a sense, there was peace on earth, but it was a very harsh kind of peace. The Roman Empire had created what is called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. But they'd done it by defeating other nations militarily, holding them captive in great fear with the powerful Roman army. So there was peace on earth in a sense, but it was a fearful kind of peace. And speaking of the Roman government, its oppressive hand was visible even in the circumstances around the birth of Christ. Instead of being born at home in Nazareth, Jesus was born in Bethlehem because the Roman government required everyone to return to their ancestral home to be registered, to make sure that they could be taxed. And so even the circumstances of the birth of Christ show the oppressive nature of the world in which he was born into, oppressed by the Roman government. But there's more than just these difficulties. The world Jesus was born into was a hard world to live in, just in terms of everyday life. Most people were required to do hard manual labor day after day from sunup to sundown just to provide enough food, clothing, and shelter for that day and the time period right around the day, each day in which they lived. It was a very much a hand-to-mouth situation for the vast majority of people in the world where Jesus was born, including the man and woman to whom he was born. In short, life was a struggle for most people on earth on the night or the day that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Life was a struggle, a struggle to survive. Life is better now as human knowledge has progressed and has been applied technologically in many ways to lessen our struggle and help us to not live on the razor's edge of life and death as people did back in that day. But the truth of the matter is, life is still a struggle in many ways. Even today, humanity struggles against the created realm we live in. We're not so different from the people who were alive at the time of Christ, because we too face struggles in this created realm that we live in. We, too, have to struggle daily just to survive. We don't live hand-to-mouth in the same way that people in the days of Jesus did. But we still have to work to provide the necessities of life. We have to work to produce things that people will buy so they'll give us money so we can go out and buy the things we need to keep living. And in our world, as people live longer and longer, People as they age think, am I going to outlive the money that I've saved? 
Will I be able to continue to provide for myself for the rest of my life? Will I have anything left to hand over to my children and grandchildren when my life is over? It's a struggle for people in our world just to survive. We also struggle against the created realm itself. Look, the world out there wants to kill us, if you think about it. We struggle to avoid early death by disasters and disease. Disease we understand. Because we can look back at this year and think about people that we know who succumbed to illness long before their time. But think about natural disasters. And just this year, in 2019, natural disasters have wiped out enormous segments of the population. Look at these, just a few of these, as I walk through them. Just, this is just this year, 2019. In March, a typhoon killed more than 900 people in Africa. In June, 90 people died from a heat wave in India. In July, another heat wave in Japan killed more than 160 people. In August, a hurricane killed more than 70 people in the Bahamas. Also in August, a typhoon killed 172 people in China. In October, at least 86 people died from a typhoon in Japan. In November, wildfires in California took five lives and caused 22 injuries, not to mention the millions of dollars in damage that were done to, to property in all of these cases. And just earlier this month, over 10 people died from winter storms in the northeastern United States. These natural disasters took out people who were otherwise healthy, otherwise productive, otherwise living a life and had, as they thought, a long runway in front of them. But natural disasters took them out because this is part of the human struggle in the created realm in which we live. We struggle in so many ways. We struggle daily just to survive, and we struggle to avoid early death by these disasters and diseases. We also struggle in other ways. We struggle with a body that gets older and weaker day after day. We develop back problems, knee problems, shoulder problems, and those are just mine. No. <laughs> Can I get an amen? As you get older, right, the body works against you. The things that you used to be able to do suddenly are no longer uh, so easy to do. It takes longer, even if you're healthy otherwise, to recover from shoveling snow or raking leaves, as I did earlier this week. And I don't know about you, but I feel like my reading vision gets weaker and weaker by the minute. Because as we age, the, we struggle against a body that gets older and gets weaker. All, in all these ways, humanity struggles against the created world that God has made. But all of these struggles really point back to a singular event, and they all share a common purpose. They're very different from each other, but they all rise from the same origin. We struggle as a consequence of our sin and rebellion against God. All of these struggles that we 
face in life, and many more that I did not mention, stem from humanity's rebellion against a holy God. And the Bible describes this, that God handed down these consequences. This world that we live in is facing consequences because of our sins. And our sin collectively is a race, the human race, against him. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, after Adam and Eve, Adam, our representative, sinned, God said this. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Why are there typhoons and tornadoes and earthquakes and all kinds of natural disasters? Because the ground is cursed. And that goes back to mankind's rebellion against God. The passage goes on and says, Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you return. The Bible says that life is a struggle because the world is cursed. Yes, the curse of sin and the curse of death afflicts us all because of our sin. And we all die because we all are subject to the curse of God. But the truth of the matter is, the daily life struggles that I've described already in this message and more all stem from the curse that God pronounced upon the created order when humanity sinned against Him. That, was, that is the world in which we live, a world in which we struggle. And Jesus was born into such a world Himself. He was born into a world of struggle, and humanity continues, even on this Christmas Eve, over 2,000 years later, we continue to struggle against the created realm we live in. But it's helpful in this connection as we consider why Christmas, why Jesus came on Christmas Day, to think about what life could have been like, what life would have been like. If the ground had not been cursed as a result of our sin, if the fall had not happened, and the world had progressed as God originally created it to be. Because the truth of the matter is that although humanity struggles against the created realm we live in, God created humanity to be in charge of the created realm, not to struggle with it. What would life have been like had the curse not fallen because of our sin, it would have been dramatically different. And our passage this morning, or this evening, in Hebrews chapter 2, describes the world in which God created and how God intended it to work. Again, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, the scripture says, but there is a place where someone has testified, and that someone is David, and it's from a well-known psalm. Of his in Psalm chapter 8. And verse 6 goes on to say this What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. 
This psalm and the writer of Hebrews' citation of it reminds us that there is a rank in the created order of God. And that humanity was to rank at the top of God's created order that dwells in a body. But the passage goes on to say this in verse 7, You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. We look around at ourselves and our humanity and, you know, it's easy to be unimpressed, right? Because there's so, much, there's so many ways in which we could be better than we are. But the writer of Hebrews says, when God created us, there was no room for improvement. Humanity was at its best. God did not create us with the kinds of flaws and struggles, with the kinds of weaknesses and insecurities that we have, God created us magnificently. The scripture says he crowned us with glory and honor. And then verse 8 says this, and put everything under their feet. Now that's a phrase that's easily missed both in the psalm and in this reading from Hebrews. And put everything under their feet. This goes back to what is described as the dominion mandate from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. After God created this this order, his final creation was man and woman. And God blessed man and woman and commanded us to rule over this magnificent world that he had created and to take the resources that God had placed in this universe and use them productively for the good of mankind. This is what God's original intent was. Man was king of the earth. Humanity was designed by God and ordained by God and created by God to rule over this creation and make something amazing out of it. Amazing though it began. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on this last phrase in verse 8 and put everything under his feet. It's the last phrase of the psalm. It's the first phrase of verse 8. But the point is, he picks up on that phrase, and as he continues in verse 8, he says this, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Now, this is somewhat like what is called a tautology. Are you familiar with a tautology? A tautology is is a statement like this. The white bird is white. Okay? The verb and what follows it doesn't communicate anything that wasn't already communicated before the subject. The white bird is white really doesn't communicate very much because it just repeats the same idea. And it's almost like the writer of Hebrews is saying this, a little bit more sophisticated than the white bird is white, but he takes the positive statement and shows that it also rules out a negative. Again, verse 8 says, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. If everything is true, if everything is subject to humanity, then nothing is not subject to humanity. Right? And that's what the author of Hebrews is arguing. He's saying, listen, there was nothing that God created that was to be outside the domain and control of humanity. The oceans should not have produced typhoons. The winds should not have produced tornadoes. The ground shouldn't have shaken with 
earthquakes and other types of natural disasters. Because the earth was created to serve mankind. And it was placed under the feet of mankind. And mankind was crowned by God himself as the king of this world and this created order in which we live. And so God created humanity and the world around us. And then he put us in charge of it. And imagine what the world would be like if humanity truly was in charge. Now, what I've just said is, because of sin, things have changed. We no longer have the power that God created us to have. In fact, the author of Hebrews goes on and says this, continuing in verse 8. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Do you follow the train of thought? The last part of the, the, the psalm that he quotes says, God put everything under their feet. The writer of Hebrews in verse 8 says, In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. In other words, he's saying the world has gone mad. It's far away from what God created it to be. Everything that exists, God designed to serve us and commanded to serve us. And yet because of sin and because of the curse, the earth is rebelling against us. It's struggling against us. And so the author of Hebrews says, at present we do not see everything subject to them. Well, imagine what the world would be like if it was subject to us and if we were still perfect. I mean, if, if we were sinful and flawed and as messed up as we are and the world was subject to us, that would be a truly horrific place to be. But if we had maintained the, the perfection that God created us to have, and if the world was still subject to us, imagine what the world could and would be like. What if we could protect people and property from wildfires and tornadoes and tropical storms, people from freezing to death or dying from heat stroke? That's what the world would have been like if it had not fallen under a curse because of our sin. What if we could heal every disease, and in fact, people didn't get diseases. People didn't lose their ability to think and to process and to remember because they have a problem as they get older with Alzheimer's or something else. What if that never happened? And what if the aging process looked nothing like it looks now? Yes, maybe there would be some way to see the progression of a person's life, but if there were no death and no breakdowns, associated with aging, imagine what the world would be like. What if we can control the weather? It's pretty gray out there for Christmas Eve. If you're going to live in Michigan, at least a white Christmas would be nice to have. What if we could make it so? What if the world was, and its weather was subject to humanity? I don't know how we would do this exactly, if we would have to come to some consensus, but what if we could decide that the weather here in Michigan would be as pleasant 364 days a year as San Diego is, and then on Christmas we could have a white Christmas? That'd be pretty cool. And this is just the beginning of what the world could have been like and would have been like had we not fallen into sin. Believe it or not, this is one of the things that Christ came to accomplish. When we talk about Christ's mission in Christmas and what Christmas began, the restoration of 
the world to the subjection and power of humanity was one of the things God wanted to accomplish when he sent Christ into this world on Christmas. And so the major point of this message, the big idea for us as we celebrate the birth of Christ tonight is this, Christ came into the world on Christmas to put humanity back in charge of creation. Because of the curse, because of the fall, we lost our ability to control creation truly. We've gained some of it back. It's been a hard-fought struggle because the world's been pushing against us the entire way. But we've made small gains. We've been able to heal some diseases. We've been able to alleviate some pain and suffering. We've been able to protect against some disasters. But the truth is, there's a long way to go. And the Bible says that Christ came on Christmas ultimately to restore creation to humanity's control. Look in our text again, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. The last sentence in it says, Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. Humanity is not under the control or does not have control of the created world. But verse 9 says this, But we do see Jesus. And a ray of hope comes into our thinking about this. He goes on and says this, We do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little time. For a little while. That phrase, who was made lower than the angels, is a callback, of course, to verse 7. You made them a little lower than the angels. It's another way of expressing the fact that on Christmas Day, Christ was born. God entered into the human race through the miracle that we call the incarnation. Christ became a man. Jesus was fully human, but somehow, in ways that we don't understand, the fully human Christ was also fully God. And the author of Hebrews says, we see Jesus who, like us, he was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, but now, verse 8 says, he is crowned with glory and honor. And this is a callback, too, to the psalm. This is a callback to the middle of verse 6, where, or verse 7, I mean, the beginning of verse 7, where it says, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. The author of Hebrews says, What God originally created mankind to be, Jesus is already. He came into this world. He became a man. And he has become what God wants all of us to be, what God always wanted us to be. Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor. And Jesus is uh, no longer a little lower than the angels. He's had his deity or the the fullness of his deity the glory of his deity never lost any of his deity but he's had the glory of it restored to him but he remains human and as a human being though he is so human he is now perfected he is now crowned with glory and honor the author of hebrews says and so these this passage helps us to understand another dimension to christmas one that still awaits a payoff but is very much tied to the coming of Christ in this world. As we celebrate the birth of Christ, it's helpful to remember that God had many purposes for sending Jesus into the world, and one of them was to put humanity back in charge of creation. Let me talk about how Christ did this. First of all, the Bible tells us that his life and his death broke the curse of sin on creation. Verse 9 says, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. 
so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Remember that the, the um, problems we see in the world, the rebellion, you might say, of the world against our uh, lordship, the thorns and the thistles and all the problems that we have, the out-of-control weather and the, the problems that the world around us has that I've described in detail in this message, that was just one of the consequences. But the ultimate consequence was death. The ultimate consequence of our disobedience is that each one of us will die. But when Jesus came into this world, the Bible says he suffered death for everyone. That's what verse 9 says. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And you understand that the death of Christ on the cross, the central doctrine of our faith, is why we have a relationship with God. His grace to us, saving us from our sins, happened because of the death of Christ. I covered that in other messages in this series. But here the author of Hebrews is saying, his death did more than just save us from our sins. It put us on a path to the restoration of the lordship that God created us to have. The life of Christ and the death of Christ <coughs> broke the curse of sin on creation. And the Bible says this, his resurrection gave humanity power over creation once again. Remember that Jesus remains human. He is resurrected and glorified but he is, remains both God and man. And that means anything that is true of Jesus now is, at least in a sense, true of humanity. It hasn't paid off for all of us in humanity yet, but at least one human has done what God commanded. And the Bible says it was the resurrection of Christ that gave him the power over creation once again. In Matthew chapter 28, 18, we quote this, the Great Commission when we talk about um, taking the gospel into the world. But Jesus meant more by it than just the power to evangelize. Give me one second. In this verse, Jesus said, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, that refers to the power and the authority to evangelize the world. But that's only part of the authority that Jesus was describing. When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, he means also the authority to subject creation to humanity once again. And so his resurrection gave humanity the power over creation once again. Now again, the author of Hebrews concedes and we understand from our own experience that at present, he says in verse 8, we do not see everything subject to him. We don't have the same power over creation that Jesus has. But the promise of Christmas is this, that the second coming of Christ, his second advent, promises to restore the world to the way God created it to be. Notice these words from Romans chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. It says, The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. 
We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This will happen ultimately after the second advent of Christ, the return of Christ. But all of it began with his first coming. Where in Christmas he began the process of, again, subjecting all creation to humanity and redeeming that creation so that it will follow our lead. And in the Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and maybe you are aware of this, maybe you aren't, it's actually controversial to say whether or not Joy to the World is a Christmas carol or not. It's not controversial to us, we assume that it is. But the truth of the matter is most of the stuff discussed in that song talks about the second advent of Christ more than his first advent. Yet I still think it's acceptable and actually good to sing on Christmas because of this, because Christmas began all of this. Anyway, in the song Joy to the World, Isaac Watts, the composer of that Christmas carol, included this verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Right? Isaac Watts understood that this is what Christ accomplished. He began to accomplish with his coming into this world. That the joy that we sing about on Christmas Day, we've not really fully received the payoff from it yet. But the promise is there in the life that Christ began when he was born on Christmas Day. And so Christ came into this world on Christmas to put humanity back in charge of creation. And that means your life until then, your life today is preparing you for this promise of Christmas. There is coming a day when everything will be subjected to humanity again. You and I will be perfected if we are in Christ by faith. And the Bible says we will rule and reign with Christ, who is already reigning over all things. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus promised the church that he wrote these words to, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father, on his throne. Do you understand that Jesus came to bring us a world where we would be the kings that God created us to be? And the promise of Christmas is this, that though the world is beautiful, but it's severely broken, someday, because of what Christ accomplished in his coming, it will be brought back under submission to humanity. In Luke chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus talking about that day when we will stand before God and our lives in this, in, this, uh, in this life will be evaluated and our eternity will be settled based on how we've lived. Jesus said this, Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Have you ever thought about what life will be like when the created realm is again subjected to humanity, a perfected humanity by the grace of God, just the way that God originally created it to be, this is what Christ came to accomplish 
on Christmas. So when we ask the question, why Christmas? One of the answers, not the only one by any means, but one of them is this. Christ came into the world on Christmas to put humanity back in charge of creation. One of the truths we can celebrate as we remember the birth of Christ is the promise that someday all of the afflictions of this world will pass and we will live for all eternity perfected by the grace of Christ in a perfect world that is subject to us. All because Jesus came to redeem us and to redeem his creation. Christ came into the world on Christmas to put humanity back in charge of creation.